Hello and welcome to the Barton Legal Podcast. I'm Bill Barton, a solicitor who lives and breathes construction and engineering law. At Barton Legal, we help clients in the UK and around the world on everything from litigation and arbitration to drafting and negotiating contracts. And in this podcast, we unpack the latest legal trends and problems facing the industry, providing you with straight-talking insights to help break down these complex legal questions. So, let's get on with today's episode. Hello everybody, I'm joined today uh, by Paul Darling, OBEKC, for a conversation with me and I'm very honoured to have Paul with me today. I've been incredibly fortunate to know Paul for a very, very long time. Paul, lovely to have you. I understand that you have COVID. Yeah, well, these things happen. Your fourth time. So is this fourth time lucky? I think that's right, yeah. Oh, it's easy. It's easy. Just just, just, just to work from home. <laughs> work from home. So could you introduce yourself in under 60 seconds, Paul? I would describe myself as a advocate in construction law of the old school. I been the construction bar for 40 years and have done every different sort of case every different way. And I love now the fact that I can approach every case that I get with some previous understanding of how best to do it. When I was a youngster, I always used to say that I, you could never do a case properly until you'd done it. Time has gone on. One's done nearly every sort of case in front of every sort of tribunal. Uh, one feels that one knows what one is doing. And so that that's how I would describe myself now. I hope not too immodest, but I hope realistic. No, I, well, I, I, I don't think you have uh, any need to be immodest because I genuinely think that you are probably the best cross-examining and trial barrister that currently exists, certainly in my experience, and, you know, I haven't, probably done as many trials as you but I've done a lot of trials I think that you're, I'm, you're I'm probably the best I'm deeply flattered by that Bill I'm deeply flattered well I, I genuinely think you are and I think that makes you the best in the world but but when you first started so when you first went into you know a high court somewhere 40 years ago did you have any concept that 40 years later you might be appearing in a court in Qatar. Did you even know that Qatar existed? Uh, oh, yes, yes. I, 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 had no, I had no perception of that. But you see, when I started, my first case was to take a note in a public inquiry into Stafford Hospital. And by a whole series of circumstances, I went to being the pupil stroke junior tenant, taking a note to actually representing the clients. And I was the same level as leading counsel and I was in my second week. So I had to learn fast. And I always hoped that my career would involve me doing exciting bits of oral and written lit- written advocacy. In those days, more oral than written. In those days, the, the transcript writer had to be four people who were taking shorthand notes. But I always hoped that it would end up being a um, advocacy-based career. And you've certainly achieved that. I mean, I think I first met you probably when you were representing McAlpine 
McAlpine and Panatone back in, I think, 91, where I was acting for Ipstock. I think we were 34th and 35th. No, you weren't. You were 32nd and 33rd. Okay, there you go. That was that was the, that that was two two things about that. That was the drinks party, as we called it, which because we had that enormous summons for directions in front of Humphrey Lloyd in the Chiefs Court, where I gave everyone name plates. Yes. Remember? Um, and secondly, you were <laughs> yes, instructing. Secondly, you were instructing yours and my lovely, lovely late lost friend David Sitt. So that's the two things I remember about that. Special mention to David because he were, he was such a beautiful man, and he was. Remains a very dear friend, and I was, I can remember sitting up in the in the sort of the the high seats in in the court, with David, and looking down and asking, you know, who you were, and he and then he subsequently introduced me, and I I count myself extremely fortunate that in my career, uh, to have known David and then to have been introduced to to you, and I've been so lucky to meet um, other. KCs, you know, when when you were starting, were there was it other? Well, it would have been QCs then. Were, were there others that you looked up to and or took inspiration from, or was it was it the judges? Because the the judge set up, it was the official re- referees uh, yeah. court then. You know, we morphed. Well, two 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 things about that. First, firstly, on the on the barrister, I know that you know the expression "you'll never see their like again" is overused, but if you think about it. The sulks in those days were Keating, May, Dyson, Desmond Wright, Digger Desmond, uh, David Gardam, Tony Butcher, John Blackburn. I mean, they were the great old men who battled through building. Secondly, the judges were this rather curious sort of breed, official referee. <laughs> Very few of them had done construction work at the bar. They'd nearly been high court judges, but not quite. But they were accomplished gentlemen. And I say gentlemen because they were all men, obviously, in those days. But they were not perceived to be the great men, with, for example, Donald Keating and uh, Anthony Maywell. Yeah, that's obviously changed a lot with allowing women. How shocking is that? Really unbelievable. You know, we now have so many women in diverse industry. But isn't it, isn't it great? Construction bar, the construction bar were... Um, leaders in the gender equality in my time when I arrived. Keating Chambers, when I was a member of it, was gender equal at the bottom, um, bottom seven or eight of us. Um, and of course, it was because of that that you ended up with gender equality in the TCC when those people became judges in the TCC. So yes, you know, long gone are the days are you can't find the loom for the woman. Um, yeah. The excuse that was always used to keep women out of chambers. Thank goodness it's all changed. And and do you do you think that that construction stands apart from other areas of law in in its diversity in the fact that it, it it's a very it's it's a very different area of law, isn't it? It has such diversity of clients, doesn't it? And of the projects you're working on, it it, it creates that that difference in relationship. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think I think the the the, the t- in one sense, the commercial bar, the civil bar, has it so much easier than the criminal and family bars. But I think that construction, suddenly in the 80s, having been very much a male preserve, began to be much more mixed, gender-balanced, gender both in terms of clients, engineers, quantity surveyors, 
experts. Now, the way to go is obviously a lumpy approach, but I think construction has just had a whole series of of things happen that have made it more diverse. Mm. I mean, I was very lucky that one of my first bosses was was Frances Kirkham, who subsequently became, you know, TCC judge, and also she was unusual in that she got onto the bench from being a solicitor, not from counsel. She should have been a High Court judge. Should should have been, not could have been, should have been. System let her down. Yeah, but but a great a great judge. But also, in my time we had I can remember Alton. She was another Caroline Alton. She was marvellous. Yeah, I mean we've had, and then you look at. You know, Coulson, who's now Supreme Court, you know, we, we have had and have some incredible judges. And I think it's my experience in them is they have far greater appreciation of actual projects. And because we have a specialist bar, uh, I mean, again, that must make a, a big difference. Do you, do you see that contrasted when you go abroad? No, three, three, three things. Firstly, because of adjudication, less bread and butter building cases are now decided in the courts. So you don't see if 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 the current judges had had the workload of the old ORs before adjudication, we would have seen some amazing developments in construction. Second, however, I think that even with the um, fact that judges sitting on rotors, etc., etc., they. Um, do bring a much bigger un- understanding of the subject matter than the old uh, official referees because it's in their blood. Thirdly, and this is the biggest point, you've got much less danger ending up in the Court of Appeal and the Court of Appeal making a maverick decision from lack of experience. In the 18th before Anthony May and John Dyson got there, there was always a danger you get three judges who had no experience with it at all. Um, for example, the decision in Crown Estates on final certificates. So mm. the, the, the danger of that is d- diminished. And you then get <laughs> these very thoughtful judgments like Peter Coulson's decision in that the recent big fire case. Yeah. And do you think there's a good flow of counsel that want to become judges? Is that, or is it, see, is it an attractive sort of proposition for counsel? Well, I, I think to be candid, the, the court having attracted Adam Constable recently... Uh, is a major landmark. As against that, you know, he was the first serious specialist since, if I got my chronology right, since Darius Jefford. So right. I, I'm, I'm not convinced that we're putting the, the, the numbers are applying. I'll be candid. It's not for me. It never has been. Uh, and also, the danger, of course, is that when um, they are appointed, that they are having given up so much public service, entitled to go off and do other work as well. So they're. they're they end up being marvellous criminal judges, but it um, means we see less of them. But we can't complain about that because they've given up their their professional practices to go and be proper judges. So we should welcome. And, yeah, and we've had we've had the best of them. So, do you look back to when you were at school in Sunderland, and do you look back and think, you know, to the fourteen-year-old you? Did the 14-year-old you, and, and I have to say uh, to people that um, Paul's family has a history of, of getting OBEs, so that it's not that it's, um, that's unusual for his family. But do you think the 14-year-old you envisaged, you know, what your, your life was, was laying out for you in front? Yes and no, because in those days, the local hero was Peter Taylor. 
who became Lord Chief Justice. And it was said that if he wanted to be a successful lad on Tyneside in the 1970s, he either became a barrister like Peter Taylor or bought a nightclub. <laughs> I didn't have the money to buy a nightclub, so the option was clear. So I think I think that Peter Taylor and his... Newcastle had this sort of rich vein of top-class advocates. I think they did help. Um, I think they did show that, that a legal career in, in advocacy was likely to be help, likely to be a good thing to do. And so to some extent, I think I do envisage that, did envisage that. My parents, for example, both, I think, wished they'd been lawyers, and therefore Peter Taylor's achievements were always on the mantelpiece. My dad and he had been at school together, not quite the same age, but he was a you know, local legend. So I think, and indeed, for me, one of the um, sort of segues back to that hearing you mentioned in the Lord Chief Justice's court was that because of that, using that room, I had gone and watched how things had a look at the room the day before and got locked in while he was giving a judgment. So I'd managed to hear the great man before, sadly, we lost him. And therefore, that squared the circle of the 14-year-old boy uh, and the uh, advocacy in the Royal Courts of Justice. And your, your, fu- <clears throat> your future. And, and when, when did you realise that you weren't going to follow in the family footsteps of being a footballer? <laughs> I think when I was about five. Because <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't the very... I didn't have the ball sense. My brother, by contrast, um, you know, could, could be seen to be his grandfather's grandson, whereas, I mean, I actually became a referee at one stage, so as to try and uh, give myself a role. Well, I, pre- I presume that's because you like dressing up, you know, that gives you, you know, black uniform and, and you know... Well, yeah, I mean, I it, we had yellow shirts, though. They weren't very good at Winchester. Oh, dear. I, sh- I should, have ex- should have explained that Paul's grandfather was Jack Allen, who actually scored both goals when Newcastle won the FA Cup. In 1932... 1932, all those years ago. But your family background is, is pharmacy, isn't it? And that's what a lot of people don't know. Yeah, my 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 great great my great great grandfather founded a pharmaceutical business in South Shields, which is still now in the family, run by my great great my great great uncle, his nephew, my grandfather, my father, and now the generation to which I'm part. And do you, do you find that a a relaxing contrast to law, or is that something that that? I'm very lucky. I have an excellent uh, superintendent pharmacist uh, who now has day-to-day running of the business. So I I get the best of both worlds. I get to be involved without having the same level of responsibility. But there is nothing so valuable as feeling as you you're part of a historic and public yeah. service. And was that something that influenced you? You know, as you as you grew up. Because you went to you went to Oxford, didn't you? So that must have been quite a quite a contrast yeah. for someone from the northeast. Yeah, no, no, very much so. How many people from the northeast when you went to Oxford? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, we, we kept together all of us, uh, and let's face it, you know, it's um, it's a long way from the northeast, but we were all very happy because you know, I mean, those days, don't forget, we had no student debt, we had our fees paid, we got a maintenance grant. Happy days, you know. We weren't sitting there thinking about debt. Yeah, but you, you must have been the entire uh, diversity quota for for Oxford back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was the last sale single sex year at Teddy Hall, so um, uh, my contribution was to be the last of the male bastions rather than the other way around. Gosh, do you sort of look back and think, you know, at any time you wish you'd done something different, or or no, not for a second. When you were at Oxford, 
what was it that made you because there's so many different strands to law what what was it that made you realize that oh, well, you... the answer's quite simple though the answer the, the, the answer that's quite simple is that my in those days people would the students would say to you um don't be embarrassed to be a solicitor being embarrassed is too uncertain and then they would say when you said no thank you very much i want to be embarrassed they would then tell you who to write to to ask for a pupilage that person would reply saying yes please yes of course come and have a chat when do you want to start hilarious to think <laughs> oh, that. yeah. but that's how it worked i wrote one letter went to see one person started my pupilage in shipping in, in 20, what is now 20 essex street and when i was taken on there i happened to be in the middle temple student's office one afternoon when richard wilmot smith um who I um, said to the students officer, we're looking for a pupil. And she said, aha, I know a good pupil. <laughs> He's just been turned down to 20 Essex Street. Off he went. I uh, I went there and uh, the rest of the day is history. You know, cause the bar takes you where the bar takes you. Sh- shipping's loss was, was our gain. And um, what I, I hadn't realised that you were pupil to, um, to Wilmo. I mean, R- Richard is, is a lovely guy. Is it Richard who who introduced you to horses? Uh, no, no, no. We, we, we were there at the same time, um, but we certainly own horses to have owned horses together and raced together. Richard, the Richards are remarkable man. He's absolutely brilliant. I was his first pupil. I know exactly what day his daughter was born on because it was my first day of pupiling. But of course, in those days, he's only off for a few days. Um, it wasn't as if there was a major paternity leave. I, I know exactly when his daughter's birthday is because, as I say, that was my first day. And then, of course, he went from. Um, Atkin, who didn't keep me on, they took Mark Rayside instead, to um, Keating. I went to Keating, he stayed at Atkin, and then in due course we both ended up at 39. So, you know, it's a funny old world. It is, isn't it? And then and then you mentioned Mark Rayside, an old friend, uh, again, known him. But old friend n- of both of us. For a long time, and his time at, um, at uh, TCC in Leeds. And I'll t- I tell you a, fun- a funny story, and then you can tell me a funny story about someone else. I was instructing Mark once. In those days, of course, it was all in person, and I was sitting behind Mark on a, a long trial, and he bent forward one morning, and his trousers ripped. And as I, I believe strongly in you, you need to be having a bit of fun during a trial and keeping everybody relaxed, I then decided that all the notes that I was passing to Mark, I would put just inside his ripped trousers. So this this became this was was quite funny to me that he had to fish them out of his trousers. But but Mark wasn't quite as amused as I was. But um, yeah, it, it it definitely kept us kept us going. And, and following the case, I sent him a sewing kit. <laughs> well, I. Uh... My, my equivalent story, but it's about me, as you'd expect. I was appearing in front of the Court of Appeal, and I wasn't called on in reply, so I bowed and sat down. Unfortunately, as I bowed, my wig fell off into the row in front. So I had to sort of rush round to get it. There was no one in the row in front, and it was a horrendous moment. <laughs> the court was Lord Bingham, MR, um, and he looked at me and he said, Mr. Darling, Mr. Darling, how very kind of you. In all, and I was sort of going, all my years at the bar and on the bench, I'd never even heard of that let alone been privileged to watch it. So thank you very much. It put me completely at my ease. And I went, I went from being a sort of jabbering junior to sort of 
Not at all, my lord. So glad to be of help. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and how... So that is an interesting... So you you are, as I am, old school. How did you... How did you cope with the transition to virtual trials and hearings? Oh, I, I, I think the answer is you have to adapt and have new techniques. But you see, I always believe in advocacy. There are two. There are two. There are two facets to advocacy. One is submission. One is cross examination. Both of them involve you engaging with the subject, i.e., the judge or the witness. And so, what you've got to do is to find new techniques or the right technique, to engage with the judge. Now, if you've got a judge who's a long way away, you can't really see, then you've got a problem. What about... So let's talk about your, your love of um, horses. So you you have a number of roles um, in the industry. Um, how, how did those come around? Well, as a family, we used to enjoy horse racing together. Mother and father used to come and watch us play rugby, my brother and I, but whereas in horses we could be equal and, and all do it together. So uh, I've always had an interest in it. But then what happened was I um, saw an advert for the a director of the Tote, which was then owned by the government. And it was about the stage when everyone else was applying to be a recorder, and I didn't really fancy being a judge. So I thought I'd give that a go. Um, and that just took off, and I ended up being a member of the betting levy board and now the chairman of the betting levy board, which is, you know, my equivalent of being a recorder. Along the way, of course, I had my flurry with football, where I was chairman mm-hmm. of the Football Sports Ground Safety Authority. So, you know, it's a combination of things I enjoy, a bit of public service, and getting the balance right between the various different factors. And the Sports Ground Safety has been a very, you know, very important part of the work that you've done, isn't it? I think it's the most important thing I've ever done, because the government, coalition government in 2010, in its wisdom, and I use the word advisedly, decided to abolish the authority. That would have been folly. I understood what they, the, their, their misunderstanding, but I was able to then spend the next four years persuading them this wasn't a good idea, and the Sports Ground Safety Authority went, it's gone from strength to strength. Largely after I'd stopped being its chairman, I stress, that my job was to save it from being knocked out, which I did. You know, you look at the contribution to sports grounds and the difference in safety and the way in which they're built is is just incredible. I mean, if you, if you, if you go into control room for a football ground on a match day, you know, you're seeing an astonishingly efficient modern process. Contrast that with the sort of equivalent pre-Hillsborough. The world has changed completely um, and the tech, it, it's become an expert world rather than a amateur world. Yeah. And of course, y- you were very rightly awarded an OBE. Who who did the sort of the doffing of the shoulders with the with the sword? Was that the Queen? No, it was it was Prince William. I had been going to have the Queen, but then my mother was ill, so I was determined to move it so she could be there and she, we did and she was. Unfortunately, there is a DVD of me being presented. As I got the steps in the wrong order, I never had the courage to look at it. Prince <laughs> William was lovely as you would expect. What 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 bad advice were you given when you were younger that you actually followed, and and now you wish you hadn't been? So by way of example, when I was an article clerk, I was told by a junior solicitor at the same firm that it was a really good idea to leave my books in an incredibly untidy manner, 
and papers all over the desk because it it would make it look like I was busy. So I would I would always you know when I went home in the evening everything was sort of strewn across my desk and I did this thinking it was a, it was a great idea until one day one of the partners came in and basically said to me what the was I doing and couldn't I tidy my desk up and I said oh it's because I'm so busy and he said I just thought because you're a scruffy git you know and so yeah. it was really bad advice what about you the worst advice I got was in the robing room in Nottingham in 1985 when I was about to do Lock and Errol and somebody said to me apologize to the judge for the mess the papers are in so I said to the judge I hope you're um, sorry for the mess hope your lordship wasn't confused by them and he screamed at me how dare you say I could be confused I'm a judge of the high court <laughs> that sounds like you were set up <laughs> I think I was but then you know I mean you know Posh, posh young London council in Nottingham is not entirely popular. No, no. Well, I, and, and probably the same now. So it just goes to show. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not recently been, but I'm sure. I'm sure they're very nice now, Bill. You know the world. Well, they're very nice, but I, I, I'm fairly sure there's still a quite north-south divide in things. You, you've uh, advocated in, uh, been ad- advocate in many countries. Some more obvious, like Hong Kong. Is there a difference, you know, or is it? You know, is a courtroom a courtroom? I, well, I, I, my court appearances have tended to be in either England, Wales, Northern Ireland, or Southern Ireland. Most of my other stuff has been in arbitration, with the odd appearance in courts linked to arbitrations. So the answer is, you know, I mean, I think that you can tell that England and Wales and Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland have the same system. I have to say that my best court experience I lost was in the Supreme Court in Dublin, where I appeared in front of a judge, presiding judge called Donald O'Donnell, um, now the Chief Justice, who was marvellous. They're all different, because they've all got different rules and procedures, but they're all the same because you're all an advocate trying to persuade the judge. And do you think that you, you will always avoid sitting, you know, stay as an advocate, or do you, could you see yourself somehow morphing onto a bench or arbitration? Well, the, the, the answer to that is that I, first point is that I sit as an arbitrator from time to time. I enjoy that as a small part of my long-term practice. I think sitting as an arbitrator is good for your practice as an advocate because you see the way it's done from both sides of the spectrum. I, the, the thing I enjoy most on the, on the sitting side is adjudicating. My Sitting as an adjudicator, I think, is great. But principally, I want to carry on being an advocate because that's what I enjoy most. Do you prefer sitting as an adjudicator because it, it's a bit more sort of fast-paced, which is more akin to sort of the advocacy, yeah. do you think? Or, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, you, the, the, you, that it has a, a structure, a time-limits process, a management, gives it a form rather than it being self-fulfilling. Yeah, and, and talking about, you know... Um, for things are fulfilling you actually have your own podcast series don't you i've just published the fourth today which is david sortell and me talking about uh, uh adjudication i've done a couple with um paul Starr and Xin Yi, my friend is my friends in hong kong and singapore so it, it's just nice to have a chance to talk to people to have a bit of an excuse it is isn't it and it, it and then again it's a very different medium isn't it from from what we're used to you know growing up as in in the law it's not 
You know, I mean, podcasts didn't exist when we were younger, did it? No. I think we, we, no. we, we were, I was in them before Rory Stewart. That's what I keep on telling everyone. <laughs> Do you know him? Is he, no, you I, haven't asked oh, him to I, be on yet? Well, of course, I don't know him, but he has a flat near where I used to live. So um, we would occasionally sort of wave knowingly at each other in, in restaurants or bars around South Kent. He's a remarkable man. Camilla and I went to the Alastair Campbell hymn, um, Royal Albert Hall, the, the Rest is Politics event, and they're marvellous. Yeah, they've been they've been working together a while, so I think they have a yeah. they have a great rapport, and they and their respective experience is, you know, is is great and it, just very broad and different. Chemistry's moments. Yeah, what would you describe as a bad habit that you have, Paul? Talk too much. Surely, surely that <laughs> can't can't be a bad habit. I mean, that's your that's your job. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, talk too fast, talk too fast, talk too fast. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. You're known for um, sometimes, sometimes having a bit of food down the front of your, your shirt. Do you think it's a fair fair comment? Occasionally, I'm sure that must have been seen in the past. It's uh, <laughs> it's because I'm frankly thinking about other things while I'm eating. Do you think a tie is there to have food thrown onto or do you think a tie is worn to cover up the stains on, on a shirt? Oh, definitely the second. Definitely the second. Because <laughs> you put the tie on when it matters. Then it's, that's perfectly clear. Excellent. I mean, the important thing is to try and drop the food in the middle where the tie would be. Yes. And, and I think that's all about planning. So what what's your what's your current favourite restaurant or food of choice? Because you, you, you go to so many places. I, I, I had a steak in Hong Kong last week, which was just marvellous. In the um, steak restaurant in the Grand Hyatt, it was just breathtaking. What's been your, your favourite country then? I go to Seoul. I haven't been to Hong Kong. I'm hoping to go to Japan in April. But where would you recommend I should be looking to go? Where's a, where do you think a really... Top. Well, I mean, I, I, they're, they're all different. I mean, I, I, now I've done cases in so many different places. I have to say that I have a big soft spot for Dublin. Well, I did a three-year case there, and I feel very much part of the Irish legal community. Wait, but you're you're also you're called to the Nor- Northern Ireland bar, though, aren't you? I am, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I also practiced in Dublin on this big case before Brexit. So when one was able to practice there without without having to be called independently yeah well we we will avoid the the whole brexit question because it's um there's a huge danger if we got on to brexit of me me ranting about um what a stupid decision it was um so what are you most looking forward to in 2024 apart from well, seeing the me. middle temple which i'm looking forward to okay well but yeah, seeing you what i'm looking forward to in fact without breaking any client confidences is being involved in a case of the TCC, which I think is um, going to be um, with people that I know, and um, I'm looking forward to that. And I think there's a huge camaraderie, isn't there, in the TCC across all of Chambers. It's one of the things I love that, you know, you've got Keating, Atkin, Crown, 39, but but there's Four Pump. Yeah, there's so many, but and everyone's very competitive, but everyone is is still you know competitively friendly, and and we you can bump into people, and you could you know, I love the fact that you can just be in Essex Street or Chancery Lane, and you can just bump in and have a chat to people, can't you? 
So it's a very happy community, and I'm very glad to be part part of it. Yeah. What about your looking back highlight from this year for you? Highlight from this year, I, I think having got into court a bit, but done a wide variety of bits and pieces of work and represented, you know, given quite a lot of advice in cases. Feels like I had a year where I sort of spread where where I've been spread across the industry, which has been very nice. And 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 that way you you, you get to see more people, don't you? And it's you it's variety. Yeah, that's one of the things I love. I love meeting new people, whether they're clients or counsel, and and going to sites. Uh, we're very we're very fortunate. It's been an absolute joy talking with you, Paul. I, I could talk all day, all week. Bill, you're one of my oldest and best professional friends. I couldn't be happier to have talked to you. You're such it's a lovely man. It's been and it's been nice. Oh, you're, you're, you're very kind. I hope, I hope COVID treats you very kindly. I think you're one of the few, much few people I know who've had it four times. But there we are. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for today's Barton Legal Podcast. Please make sure you follow the show in your podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they're released. We'll be tackling another important topic in this month's Barton Legal webinar, and you can register for free and watch back our previous webinars at bartonlegal.com. Why don't you connect with me on LinkedIn and follow Barton Legal to keep up to date with all the legal trends and news. I look forward to speaking to you again in the next Barton Legal podcast.